Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Are you well today? You are. Are you excited today? You're here. Well, we don't have church. I feel like I feel like we could go home, but I don't want to go home. Do you guys want to go home? Okay, I got a message in me, but uh, come on, didn't Mr. Jim do a great job? Come on. We'll call it a fireside chat with, with, with Dad Jim. Fireside chat with Dad Jim. We just roasted some marshmallows around the fire with him, so um, it was beautiful. And praise team, you did a great job. You always do, but we love that new song, Don't We Church Family? We have awesome praise and worship at this church. It was wonderful and powerful and we thank you for that so we're going to continue talking about revival this morning and i know next week is easter sunday resurrection sunday and i have a good resurrection sunday message for you then but i want to talk about revival again today we've been in a series about it so let's look at acts 10 and we're going to read a longer passage in the bible acts 10 and verse 1 and we're going to go to verse 16 Acts 10, in verse 1, says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, what a name, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision, in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa, not Joppa the Hut. It's a real place in the Middle East. And summon a man named Simon Peter. I've been watching too much Mandalorian. i got to focus here. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier and one of his personal attendants. And he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon. Now stay with me here. And he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. And all the hunters said, amen. Amen. (laughs) Verse 14. Now, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Verse 15. But the Lord spoke again, and this is what he said. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Verse 16, the same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Huh. Quiet in the crowd. Pastor, you picked the most random verse to preach on today. Yes, I did. But you're going to get it once we get into this message. So today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is, What's in Your Sheets? Or if you don't like that title, a little more child-friendly title is Pigs in a Blanket. (laughs) 
I'm just saying. So on Sundays, we've been talking about, you guys like that joke. Wow, you guys, sometimes I try really hard to be funny, and you don't laugh at anything, and then when I don't try like that, you just, everybody's losing it. Okay, doesn't take much at church here. So today, we're going to talk about what's in your sheets. And I've been preaching about revival the past several weeks. We've been talking about Do It Again. Uh, this series about revival, about that God is moving uh, in this earth, in this planet. He wants to move. He's moving all over the world right now, but he wants to move in our church, in your life, in your family, in this city, in this region. And God's no respecter of persons. He's just looking for people that want him to move. Now, just a real quick recap of the past several weeks to bring you up to speed. We talked about several weeks ago, God moves where he's wanted. Meaning, if you don't want God, guess what? He's not moving in your life. Why? Because he respects your will and you have a will and you can choose to receive God or you can choose to resist God, but that's your choice. But let me tell you this morning that it's very, very true. If you want God to move in your life, God will move in your life. But God only moves where he's wanted. We talked about a few weeks ago the recipe for revival. We talked about how there's ways we can resist God and there's ways we can receive from God. Some of the ways we can resist God's move in revival is pride, distractions, traditions. Some of the ways we receive revival in our life are things like this. God's looking for humility, real desire, or we could say hunger, and he's looking for unity. And last week we talked about repentance and prayer how those are always attached to God's moving in the earth, in revival, in cities and countries and nations. There always comes a move of repentance and prayer before there becomes a move of God in reviving his people. And hopefully you were stirred up about that to join me as your pastor and this church to pray more for our church and for each other and to really be in a place of repentance towards God. That, that we're willing to change God, we're willing to change our thinking, we're willing to change our direction. If God tells us to move, we're going to move. If he tells us to change, we're going to change. Because a person whose heart is like that, trust me, God will revive you when you're like that. Amen. Bible says in Acts that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. But the first part of the verse says, when you have repented and you've been converted, you turn around and you go the opposite direction. And that doesn't mean just one time at an altar. That means there's going to be other times in your life that you need to repent. There's other times in your life that you need to change. And when you're open to that and you make those changes, when God tells you to change and you repent and be converted and change, God will revive you in that area. He will bring refreshing and reviving into your life. Not just into a church, but into your family and into your personal life. Some of you are saying, well, I need God to move. Well, maybe you need to make some changes because God is willing to move, but we need to repent and we need to pray to God and then reviving and refreshing comes. Are you with me? So today we want to talk about what's in your sheets. I need to be very careful today with the way I say that. I've seen too many YouTube clips of preachers gone wrong. You can, never, you can never delete it off the internet once it's out there. 
there's certain verses I won't even preach about in the Bible. After I've watched too many videos, I'm like, I will never read that verse publicly because I feel like now that it's stuck in my head, I will slip up and say something I shouldn't. So anyways, bear with me today. We're going to talk about what's in your sheets. But in the book of Acts, we see the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. Do you realize in the early church, this day of Pentecost that happened in Acts 2, there was 120 people in an upper room in the Middle East. And that revival that started with 120 people. Are you with me? Now, there's more than 120 people in this church. So if God could do it with 120 people, he could do it with us. And what happened in that upper room, there was 120 disciples and the Holy Spirit got poured out. That revival started and it turned into 3,000 and 5,000 and 10,000. Then it went to hundreds of thousands. Then it went to millions. And now today there's billions and billions of Christians on the planet today. But it started with 120 people in an upper room. And we see that because of that revival, it's completely changed the last 2,000 years of world history. All of history has been changed, not just with what happened with Jesus. We realize we divide time, B.C. and A.D., when Jesus was born and when he died and when he resurrected. But we see because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, but then after that giving the authority to the church... The church and his followers changed the world the last 2,000 years. Do you realize that all the ideas we have in the Western world came from Christian ideas? All the things we take for granted and we think they're American things, they're not. They are Christian things. And the reason it works is because they're Christian values, not American values. Values like our morality, our justice system, freedom for all people, human rights. Those are not American ideas. Those are Christian ideas. And those ideas have shaped the last 2,000 years of church history. But why have they shaped it? Because the church was in revival and it took over the known world. But it only happened through a revived church. The early church and the early church leaders faced many oppositions, many hardships, much suffering, and especially the past or the first 300 years of the church under Roman, the Roman Empire. We see that the early church were not talked about on Facebook. And then got on there, so I'm persecuted. Me, 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 me. No, you're not. No, you're not. The early church was being burnt at a stake. The early church was being thrown in prison. The early church was thrown into uh, one of those gladiator fields and letting wild animals kill them at the expense of the Roman emperors and all the rich people in Rome watching them die brutal deaths. That was persecution in the early church, not Facebook. We got to grow up Americans. We are too pampered and too comfortable. But I'm saying this for a reason because we see the early church and all throughout church history, but especially those uh, early book of Acts, but also into the first several hundred years of the church, we see that 
revival was constantly taking place, but wherever revival went, riot went also. Wherever there was opportunities, there was much opposition for the church. And you have to realize this, when God is moving, that the kingdom of darkness and the spiritual realm is not just going to sit aside and be like, that's awesome. There's going to be upheaval. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be riots. And that happened all throughout the early church, especially the first hundred years. And we see that that alone did not stop the church. If you read the Bible, everywhere that the apostle Paul went or other people, there was a riot and a move against him everywhere he went. Everywhere the early church went, there was great open doors and opportunities, but there was much opposition. Why? Because the enemy will always try to stop God's move when he's moving. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. There's a great wide open door of opportunity, but there's many that oppose me. There's many adversaries. So the greater the revival, the greater the riots. The greater the opportunities God gives us, the greater the opposition. That is a part of it. And if we're not ready for that, then we shouldn't even do what God is calling us to do. Because if you're not ready for it, you're going to stop moving just because there's going to be opposition to stop what God is doing. Because the spiritual realm, the kingdom of darkness does not like that. And they will do everything they can to stop you. Both spiritual pressure, but also natural pressure. We see in the, the first several hundred years of the church that there was not only spiritual pressure, but the enemy would use people, government leaders, business leaders, to persecute the church, to kill the church, to throw the church into prison, to, to harm the church. Why? To try to stop what God was doing. But I got some good news for you. With the movement of God in revival, if you study church history and the history of revival since the book of Acts, the past 2,000 years, it was never the opposition on the outside that stopped the move of God. Am I in the right church? Okay. It was never the opposition on the outside that stopped revival. Now we're talking about real persecution. You're thinking if it could have been stopped, it would have been stopped in the first hundred years when they were just being brutal towards Christians. Like if anything could stop it, you'd think it would stop under these Roman emperors that were literally burning Christians, feeding Christians to lions, chopping Christians' heads off, saying, if you follow Jesus, we're going to kill you. You're thinking that that would have been the thing that stopped it, right? Anybody, anybody see that? You're thinking, if it was going to stop the move of God in revival, it would have stopped the first couple hundred years because it would have been tired of getting persecuted and suffering for Jesus and, and being killed for their faith. But the moves of God in revival have never been stopped by opposition from the outside. Actually, if you read church history, the more the opposition on the outside. <laughs> I just had to wake you up a second. The greater the move of God. The more the persecution on the outside, the greater the church grew. 
the more pressure from the outside, the more miracles that happened. The more, the more suffering that took place, the more people sought God, and the more healings and miracles happened. Persecution and suffering from the outside never stopped the move of God. It actually made it grow because the more that they were persecuted and the more they were suffered, they got more serious and they sought God more and they kept more focused and, and Christianity and the move of God grew and grew and grew and more miracles and more deliverances and more signs and wonders and more salvations came out of the roughest, hardest times because there was opposition on the outside. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. But it was never the opposition on the outside that stopped it. And I'm going to say this. This isn't on my notes, but we as a church, not just this church, but as the church, we got to be better than this in America. I love this country, but we are fighting the wrong battles here. Everybody's whining about Christians being persecuted and what if the government changes the rules about the church? And what if they do that? The first 300 years of Christianity, they were living under a dictator that hated them. And they grew and grew and grew. And that was the greatest move of God that was seen in world history was the first 300 years of the church. I know that's not pleasant or comfortable to hear, but we're over here in America acting like we're not going to be able to do what we need to do unless the government rubber stamps it. Or if everybody in America doesn't agree with us. Since when? The Christians in the early church took over the Roman Empire in hundreds of years, and it became the official religion. And they changed the known world under a dictator where they had no rights where they had no freedoms where they were being killed for their faith I'm just trying to give us a reality check here so many, so many of us are fighting the wrong battles trying to change laws trying to fight people that's not what's going to change the world and it's not what's going to change America revival is what's going to change America God moving is what's going to change America, not you voting in Trump or Biden. Come on now, somebody. There ain't going to be revival if either of them get in. Uh-uh. We're going to get revival when the church stops looking at the world to do something for them and their government to do something for them and their country to do something for them. We are not of this world. We are from a kingdom that is different from the United States. And I love America. But our allegiance is not to the flag or the president or anybody else. It's to Jesus and his kingdom. Come on now, some. We need to focus. We want this world to change. We want this nation to change. We want people to change. It's not going to happen by fighting these dumb battles. What's, what's going to change it? When the church gets revived. When the church gets serious. When the church starts repenting first and stops acting like the world needs to repent. No, when the church gets right with the Lord, then we'll be revived so we can go affect the world. When the church starts praying, then the church 
will go out and it will revive and heal the world around us. When the church gets revived by the power of God and we focus on ourselves and not everybody else and get us right, then there will be revival and that the outflow of that, it will change a country, it will change a nation, it will change the world, but it happens in the church first. But the church has to be revived to do that. Pastor, why isn't America changing? Because most churches in America are not revived. They're barely hanging on. <laughs> there are dying churches everywhere. The worship's dead. The preaching's dead. The people are dead. And we wonder why our country is the way it is. Because the church is the one it should be. The way we change the world is they need a revived church. In a live church. Are you one of those churches, church family? Come on, we're going to be in a live church, not a dead church. We're not going to get in fighting battles that we don't need to fight with people. We need to focus on the spiritual because that's where the issues are in the first place. Christians are getting in fear and trying to fight natural battles that are really spiritual issues. All right now. That wasn't in my notes. But I'm proud to be an American. I am. But we need to fix some issues we got in this nation. But it's not going to fix it just because you voted in your favorite person. It's going to change when the church is revived and be in the real church. The church that should be in authority on this earth. The church that should be the hands and feet of Jesus. The church should be, that should be the head and not the tail. And above and not beneath. The church that should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the church that should be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's when the world will change when the church is that kind of church. I got a mover. We'll be here all day. <laughs> are you getting something today? No, I know some of you are like, why do you always bring stuff like that's up, Pastor? Because you're being talked about on the news, on the radio, all the time. This nonsense from both sides, liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans, is pumping this poison into you every day as Americans. So your pastor has to come and straighten it out. Because you've been listening to this nonsense all week. And guess what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing. You're starting to believe it. So I got to give you a reality check on Sundays. I do. I love you. That's why I'm doing it. Got to get our focus in the right place. Stop fighting these battles. It's a spiritual battle. It's not a natural battle. I'm really going to move on, but let me say this. Democrats are not your issue to fight with. And Republicans are not your issue to fight with. Conservatives, liberals, we're, we're fighting the wrong battle. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. We need to pray. We need to repent. We need to get ourselves right. Stop pointing fingers at everybody else. If the church is revived, the world will change. It will. All right. You're welcome. And I'm running for president in 2024. Actually, you got to be 35, right? I'm 35. Let's do it. 
Jacobs and Gehring, 2024. Not you, Brother Sean. Sorry, Miss Jenny. You can be the Secretary of Defense or something. Isn't Brother Sean, he's like, he's, he has a very vice president vibe to him, doesn't he? Very administrative. He does the dirty work for the president. That's, that's Brother Sean, 100%. No, Miss Jenny, we'll give you another job. But you're in the administration. We'll give you one. Got the Treasury Secretary over there. I mean, we got it all. We got it covered. So opposition outside the church never stopped revival. It's when opposition got within the church is when revival stopped. You look at every great revival and move of God, it always would stop when within the church there would be opposition. Either the leaders would start getting into pride because God was moving in their church or their denomination or their move, then it would stop. Opposition from within would come by lack of desire, by burnout. A lot of times, a lot of the moves of God in revival stopped because the places that they were having revival from within, they started fighting each other, started gossiping about each other. They started being divided, and that stopped the move of God. But hear me, church, it was never opposition outside the church that stopped any revival or any move of God. It was always opposition from within. And today, I want to talk about a specific thing, and it's mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to go there in a second, that we need to deal with as a church and as a church family that can stop the move of God we said it's opposition from within that stops revival and the move of God. But one of the main things that I've seen is prejudice, division, and judgment has been a major stop of most moves of God. This is what happens. The church asks God to move. God starts moving. People start coming. But then the church says, but those aren't the people we wanted. And then it stops. And it's not the opposition from the outside. It's the opposition within. Realizing God is answering your prayers. And then they start coming or your coworker starts talking to you. The one that you've been praying for. You're like, well, God, I didn't want that one. <laughs> Specifically. I, did, I wanted the other one I was talking to. And we ask for revival because when the church gets revived, the world gets affected. And so the world's going to start changing and the world's going to be starting to be drawn to you, which is a good thing. And the world's going to start looking for answers and the world's going to start coming into the church, which is the point to begin with. Do I get a little excited? Yes, I do. And then when that starts happening, the church says, but that's not what we wanted to happen. So prejudice, division, and judgment stops the move of God. 
When God is sending those people, now hear me, I know this message is going to make you all uncomfortable, but receive this because I'm trying to help you today. When God has sent those people into your life, both inside the church and outside the church, because he wants you to help them. He wants you to love them. He wants you to minister to them. And we're asking God to use us, and we're asking God to move, and we're asking God for revival. And then when he starts sending people, we say, that's not what I really wanted. And a lot of times, great moves of God have stopped because of the church's attitude. Because they're prejudiced, because they're division, because they're judgmentalness. When God was trying to move. Here's something you need to know about God. He's in charge, we're not. We're going to ask God to do something, then he's going to answer our prayers, then we're going to say, God, that's not what I wanted. You ain't in charge. You don't get to decide who gets counted in and who gets counted out. You ain't God. And God answers our prayers. And I want to say this to you, church family, because we are going to move with God and we're going to move in revival with this church. We need to get this straight so when people come, we got the right heart when they get here. Both inside the church and both outside in the world we live in every week. Many people have had bad church experiences because... The church they went to was not ready for them. Many people have been church hurt, even deconstructed their faith because the church, when they came there, all they met were met with was prejudice, division, and judgment instead of help and love and someone who wanted to minister to them. Now, I know there's people that say stuff, they've been church hurt, and they're just being babies about it. Like, Amzie didn't let me sing on the platform. Okay? Or pastor didn't let me preach my first week. Okay, don't say your church heard over that. But legitimately, the church, this church and all churches need to take a look at ourselves in the mirror. And some of the people that say they've been church hurt, or they've deconstructed their faith, or they've left church, it's not because they're being babies or being pouty. Some are, but a lot aren't. It's because when they got there, all they found was prejudice, judgment, division, and they felt like they didn't even fit in there because the church pushed them away. And it stopped the move of God in that church. This happened, and and some of you know this because you saw this movie recently, The Jesus Revolution. You realize The Jesus Revolution that started in the 60s and 70s, a lot of churches did not accept hippies. Now, my mom and dad were full-blown hippies. My dad was in California probably the time it was going on, doing drugs, Don't look at me like that. It's public knowledge. Oh, my gosh. He's telling on his dad. No. He was a drug addict. He was doing drugs. But during the Jesus Revolution in the 60s and 70s, all these hippies who legitimately were looking for truth, looking for Jesus, 
looking for the right way because they were trying to figure it out. And as you know, during the, the, the hippie revolution, they were rebelling against their, their strict, uptight parents, trying to go sex, love, and rock and roll, baby. With Woodstock and, you know, we're going to dress different. We're going to grow our hair out. We're going to smoke weed and we're going to have free love and free sex. And we're going to do our thing because we're trying to find ourselves. We're going to try to find truth and we're going to try to find a higher power. And they were looking and searching for something. And most people in the 60s and 70s, most churches said, you can't come here. Think about. Now, I know God still moved in. There's a movie about the Jesus Revolution. Some of you have seen it, and it's in history. Because there was churches and there was ministries that they had a great move of God with people in the 60s and 70s coming to Jesus. But imagine if all the churches would have been opened. How many more hundreds of thousands or millions of that generation could have been saved? But most churches said, we don't want you here. Because you don't look like us. You definitely don't smell like us because you know them hippies don't believe in deodorant (laughs) or hygiene. Kind of like a middle school boy at camp. (laughs) Hey, I'm just saying. If you want to get some digits at camp, you better put on a little deodorant and brush your teeth. (laughs) The hippies did not smell like everyone else they did not look like everyone else they probably smelled like weed when they came in there but they were looking for something you know who they were looking for they were looking for jesus and they were trying to do it through sex and drugs and rock and roll and they came out empty that's why so many people overdosed in the 60s and 70s because they were looking for jesus but the church closed the doors and said you don't belong here come on now help me somebody So most of the church world stopped the move of God in revival because of prejudice, division, and judgment. And it was from within, not outside the church. Not realizing the people that are coming in that way need the same grace and the same love that we have experienced. And someone didn't treat us that way. And we were able to come into God's kingdom and to see salvation because somebody opened up their arms and their life to us and didn't treat us like we don't belong here. They showed us love and grace. It's amazing. We're trying to clean people up before they ever get into a relationship with God. They'll never get there. Now, I've heard this my whole life. I've been in church all 35 years and nine months of my life. I'm a pastor's son. I've heard every excuse under the sun, but I've heard so many people say, I'm going to come back to church when I get my life right. I'm going to come back to church when I stop drinking. You ain't coming. I'm going to come back to church when I stop smoking weed. I'm going to come back to church when I stop doing this. I'm going to come back to church. Who told you this? You'll never make it back. God never said, clean up your life, then come back to church, then come back to relationship with me. He said, come back to me 
Then I'll clean up your life. Then I'll give you the power to overcome addiction. Then I'll help you overcome the drug addiction. Then I'll help you overcome porn. Then I'll help you overcome marijuana. Then I'll help you overcome anger issues. Then I'll help you overcome any issue you have, but you don't clean yourself up first and then come back to church and come back to God. That's a lie of the enemy, and it keeps people away from church. And the lie is, when I do that, I'll get back in church. You'll never make it. He'll make sure you don't make it. He'll make sure every Saturday night you feel so guilty and so ashamed of yourself, like, I don't even want to show up to church. The building might fall down on me. You heard people say that? Listen, you ain't that big. God's not been gunning for you all week, and when you step into church, he's like, Well, who puts that stuff in their head? The devil and religious people. <laughs> Look at what this verse says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. You guys still here with me? I'm trying to move, but you're, 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 you're making me preach today, and I don't mean to. Look at what it says, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't experience God's kingdom. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or who are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But look what this says. Some of you were once like that. You could just see the Apostle Paul sipping his tea as he says that. Some of y'all were just like that. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, notice what it says. He lists all these people that, that can't inherit the God's kingdom or experience it. And he says, before you think you're high and mighty and some man of God and woman of God, and you're all dignified and you're an elder now and you're an usher now in church and you help take up the offering and you're on the praise team. Listen, y'all. Some of you all were once like that. But notice what happened. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. When we live with this scripture in our mind, when we see people both inside the church and outside the church, it will change the way we relate to them. It will change the way we talk to them. It will change the way we love them, knowing I was just like that too. And without Jesus, I would still be there or worse. What kind of judgment do I have to give to you? I don't. Let me give you another example in your Bible. Acts 10 and verse 1. Are you still with me here? Because I want to talk about a specific situation in the early church days that changed the trajectory of the future of the church. And that was the situation in Acts 10. And we're going to go through it. It's, it's several verses, but we're going to kind of go verse by verse. Are you with me? So Acts 10, we're still talking about what's in your sheets. 
Acts 10 and verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian region. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now let's stop there and leave this verse up here. So we see here in Acts 10, there's a man who's a well-known, prosperous man, a man in leadership in the Roman army named Cornelius. And it says that this man was a devout man. He prayed to God. He gave of his money, but he didn't know God. He was looking. He was searching. He was trying to find God. And we'll see in this story that God sends Peter into his life to preach to him the gospel, the good news, so he can get into a relationship with God. But this man was searching. And it says he was a devout man. He feared God. He had a reverence for God. And he was doing all these things. Now hear me this morning. There's a lot of people like that in our life that we have counted out when God has counted them in. There's a lot of people that you make assumptions about that you don't know jack squat about. They don't love God. They don't care about God. Maybe they're praying every night that God would send somebody into their life to talk to them. And they're just looking for somebody to be sent into their life to share the love of God. You don't know, just like Peter didn't know. Peter had no idea. He was making a judgment about this guy before he ever met him. Like, he doesn't care. He's not a part of God's family. He doesn't want a relationship with God. But the man did. And there's hundreds of people in our lives that are in the same category. They're looking for God. And we have to stop counting them out when God has counted them in. But how will they know unless someone tells them? How will they hear the gospel unless someone loves them? They won't. Now here's another side note. All of his good works weren't good enough to put him into a relationship with God. This guy was doing all the right things and he had a sincere heart towards God. But God had to send a person into his life to show him the way to salvation through Jesus. There's a lot of people like that in your life. They're trying. They're searching. They might even be praying or giving. But they need somebody to tell them about Jesus. Now, Cornelius was a devout man praying and giving. And his prayers and giving, God recognized. Now, this man was not saved. He wasn't in a relationship with God yet. But God still saw his heart. Why? Because God cares about everyone. Now let's keep reading. One afternoon about 3 o'clock he had a vision which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. And he said, Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa. So he's telling him the specific person you need to go find that will tell you about me. And he summoned a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. 
As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them that what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. So they went to go find Peter. But notice, right after this situation happened, scene two. The next day, as Cornelius, Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon. Now, in that time, in that day, most houses in the Middle East are flat. And they would go up there to, to pray, to sometimes eat, and also because there, sometimes there would be shade, and so they would just cool off in the afternoon. So he was hanging out on the top of his roof praying as he would as a devout man who loved God on this flat roof. And notice what happens, because it was lunchtime, it was noon. He was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Now let's stop right here. So Peter's having this vision and he has his vision and there's a sheet that comes down from heaven, has four corners, and there's all sorts of animals in this sheet. They're not just any animals. They're animals that the Bible says don't eat. Now, most of you have heard of a kosher diet. Jewish people still eat this way. There's things in Leviticus 11, it says that you don't eat these type of animals because they're unclean. Now, the type of animals, if you look it up, are things like pig. Sorry, guys. Bacon. Crab and lobster. Sorry, Judah. <laughs> but then there's also things listed in Leviticus 11 that are unclean animals like reptiles. Of course, who in the <laughs> world is eating? <laughs> like lizards and snakes. It's like, yeah, you need deliverance if you're eating stuff like that. You unclean. <laughs> it says don't eat birds like vultures or don't eat stuff like rats and moles. and You nasty anyways if you're eating stuff like that. But Peter, being a sincere, devout Jewish man, by his heritage, by his race, by his background in religion, he didn't need anything like this because he was following God's laws. And the Bible said in Leviticus 11, if you eat these things, you are unclean, just like the animals unclean. So Peter had never eaten, eaten anything like bacon. How did he even live? How did he even survive a day? I don't know. But we see Peter sees this sheet and all these animals on it. And this is what happens. Verse 13. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times and the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? 
just when the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzled over this vision, the Holy Spirit said, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout, God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. Are you guys still with me? So we see here that Simon Peter sees this vision. It's a large sheet, four corners, all these unclean animals that he was told to never eat his whole life. And God says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Then he said, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. Then God says to him, don't call something unclean or common that I have cleansed. Don't have that type of attitude towards something that I have made clean and made right. And it says that this happened to Peter three times. Now, of course, when Peter woke up, the Bible says he was perplexed. Because he was thinking, what in the world? I, it was probably some bad pita and bad hummus. Somebody spiked the hummus because why am I dreaming about a white sheet with unclean animals? I, I've never eaten one a day in my life. And then God says, go eat them. So Peter was perplexed, but notice what happened. As soon as he was trying to figure out what God was telling him, the answer to his prayer showed up at the door. It was the three men that were sent by Cornelius, who was a man outside of God's covenant, which the Jewish people would call unclean. And then Peter goes, okay, I get it, God. It's not about bacon and lobster. It's not about vultures and moles. It's not about rats and bats and gnats. God, you're talking to me about my attitude towards other people. People that aren't like me, people that aren't from the same racial background as me, the same religious background as me. They vote differently than me. They believe differently than me. God, you're not talking to me about killing animals and eating them. You're talking to me about people. And when this happened in the church, it changed the future of the church world. Because the gospel was never meant just for the Jewish people or God's specific people. God's blessing was for the world, for the nations. It says that all the way in Genesis, in the very beginning, that God's call was not just to Abraham or his family, but in Abraham all the nations would be blessed. That all people would be God's people, not just a specific group of people. That was the original call. So Peter wakes up and realizes it's not bad hummus. It's not bad pita. I didn't get a wrong fig leaf that somebody spiked. 
I'm realizing that God is trying to deal with the prejudice in my own heart. He's trying to deal with the attitude in my own heart, the division, the judgment that will stop, hear me, revival. That will stop the move of God if I keep this in my heart. You think about the early church, if half of the church believed this way, think about the world would not have changed. If half the church or more than half the church had this prejudice, but when Peter changed, he made a major change in the history of the church. But God had to deal with what was in his sheet. Are you with me today? Brother Daryl, could you come play? Peter quickly realized this is not about animals. This is not about a keto diet or a kosher diet. This is about my attitude and heart towards people that you want me to reach, that you want me to love, that you want me to minister to. Are you getting something today? God will often give us answers to our prayers and we don't see it. He will speak to us. And sometimes we'll be asking, God, use me. God, help me to love people. God, help me to have more faith. God, help me to have more patience. God, I want to be used by you. And God's sending people to you all the time. You're like, I'm perplexed. (laughs) Are you, Peter? Is right in front of your eyes. The answer to the dream, the answer to the prayers, the answer to the vision, the answer to what God's trying to tell you is right in front of your face. But you don't want to see it because you got an issue in your heart. You with me? I don't want God's move to be stopped in this church or revival to be stopped in this church or any church because we have stuff in our sheets. I got a few more things I want to share and we'll close. All of us have stuff in our sheets. This is nothing new. Sometimes we think with the division in our world, this is like a new modern thing. Uh Uh-uh. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. The same issues they were dealing with 2,000 years ago are the same issues today. 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, same issues. And we have to deal with our heart. You realize the early church, they said one of the main reasons that this early church affected the world and changed the Roman Empire was they saw a movement that was multicultural, which was unheard of at that time, multiracial, that the church, early church, was made up of slave and free, male and female rich and poor and they were all living life as a community and a family loving each other and guess what the Roman world said we want to be like them we want what they have and that was one of the main reasons that it changed the early church in the Roman Empire was they lived with this place of no division no judgment no prejudice But some of us still deal with the same thing. Some of you have said this before in your heart and it's not right. I want to go to a white church. Well, you can, but I don't. 
Lord knows I don't want to go to a white church. You white people are so offended every time I say that, but I don't care. I don't. Some of you have said, I want to go to a black church. You shouldn't. I want to go to a Hispanic church. I want to go to an Asian church. All of that has a little bit of prejudice in it. You know what I want to do? I want to go to a church that looks like heaven. Come on now, somebody. And that doesn't happen by accident. The people in the church have to have the right heart and get any racism or prejudice out of our hearts and realize I want to look like heaven. I want to go to a church that looks like heaven. Because when I get up there, the Bible says there will be every race, every tribe, every tongue, every language. I want our church to look like that, and you should want to go to a church like that too. Now I want to go to a white church. Why? I want to go to a black church. And they even like subtly say stuff like, because that's my people. Who, who's your people? Irish people, my people, because I'm Irish? I mean, I do got a lot of fighting Irish in me. I'm going to say, I'm going to go to an Irish church because I'm petty, nonsense, tradition, lifeless. Come on now. Who's your people? Jesus said, my people are the people that listen to God and do his will. That's my people. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you sound like. I don't care what background you're from, what culture you're from. That's my people. Now, I'm really going to close, but I got to deal with a couple issues before we close. Because I just want to push you a little bit because what's in your sheet? Peter had stuff in his sheet, but you got stuff in your sheet too. It's not all the same for all of us in here, but you got something in there. And God's speaking to you today because you need to get that out. Why? So God can move. So revival can take place. And he won't move and revive this church if we got stuff in our sheet because that will stop his move. Some of it's class. I just want to go to a church that has rich people or I just fit in a church that has poor people middle class people uh uh we should not judge a church by that or people by that everyone should be able to belong here and guess what the rich people in a church should be doing helping the people that don't have anything showing them how to get out of poverty maybe talking to them about debt maybe helping them up on their feet so they get to a place of prosperity not saying I don't want those people in our church oh I'm going to keep pushing you we got to deal with this because what's in our sheet can hold us back from revival and what God wants to do we all got stuff could be gender could be some people are religious or non-religious. Could be political identity. That's a big one today. I don't want to go to a church with people who vote for Biden. I don't want to go to a church with people that voted for Trump. Too bad you already do. Sorry to let you know. You do. And that's good. That's not bad. It's good. We don't all have to agree to still love each other. 
I know I've kept you today, but I, I just want to share a few more things because I want our heart to be right. And I'm not saying stuff like, this is y'all, and I don't have any issues. I got issues too. But God's been dealing about this with me because as we move into the move of God and we move into revival, we got to deal with this or it will stop God's move. In the leadership, if we have these attitudes, in the church, if we have these attitudes, if any of us have these attitudes, it could reject the people that God wants us to help and minister and reach. Here, I want to share with you some truth about people, and then I'm going to give you some specific examples. We need to know this as followers of Jesus, because we need to talk about what's in our sheet that everyone you come into contact with, everyone is loved by God. Everyone on God's side is counted into his family. Now, maybe they haven't received that, but God has not counted them out. If they still got oxygen in their lungs, he's counted them in. Everyone we meet, God has a plan for them. God has a purpose for them. Everyone we meet, God wants a relationship with them. Everyone. And if anyone should believe that, the church should believe that and live that way. Let me, let me say some things that are going to hit a little bit closer to home. Because we're talking about what's in our sheet. Because some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't have race issues or political issues. There's other issues. Here's some things. God loves the Muslim Middle Eastern neighbor you have. Just as much as he loves you. God loves the housewife addicted to pain medicine. God loves the dude in the hood selling dope right now. God loves the homosexual. God loves the transgender. God loves the white supremacist. God loves the porn star. God loves the sex worker. God loves the wealthy businessman. God loves the single poor mom that lives in extreme poverty. God loves all those people. I didn't get many amens on any of that. God loves them. And he's counted them in and he has a plan for their life and he wants a relationship with them. But how will they be reached if no one loves them and cares about them and gets the prejudice out of our lives to show them the love of God? Now, here's the other thing, because I know some of you are thinking. Pastor, what about truth? What about truth? I'm for truth. I believe in truth. But if you don't love somebody first, you never have the opportunity to tell them the truth. Now, I'm for that. I'm for truth because Jesus was grace. He loved them and extended grace and truth. You need both because the truth will set you free. But you got to show somebody some grace and love before they'll ever hear your truth. The problem is in the church world, we want to start with truth and then get to love. And that's not the way it works. We got to deal with what's in our sheet.
And just because you love somebody doesn't mean you agree with them or approve of everything they do. You can still love them. Your kids, for instance. Do you disagree with some things your kids do? Yep. Do you approve of everything they do? Nope. Does that change your love for them? No. Same way with people. We show them God's love. And then there will be a time down the road where we can speak truth to them. But grace and love comes first. We got to deal with what's in our sheet. We have to be open to conversations with people. Open to hear people out. Open to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Open to extend love and grace. Even with people we don't agree with. Why? Because how will they ever get into God's kingdom if no one shows them the love of God or opens the door or has the conversation or shows them grace? They will never be able to hear truth. You with me? I'm going to close, really. I know that's a preacher talk, but I'm really going to close. I'm going to read a verse. I know probably some of the stuff I said made you uncomfortable. All I was trying to do is point out what's in your sheets. Because I got stuff in there too. I went to Gatlinburg uh, a few days ago. And one of the places we went to, there was a very large man who is dressed in a transgender way. Um, makeup, his hair. And for a second, I, I don't feel anger or mad towards people like that, but it made me feel very uncomfortable for a second. Can we talk honest in here? <laughs> but after I felt uncomfortable for a second, the next thought that always comes to me in situations like that is, you have no idea the mental torment that that person is going through right now. To be the way they are. There is a history of pain, probably abuse, probably trauma, probably extreme mental torment. Why do I have a right to judge this person, be mad at this person, be intimidated by this person? I don't need to change them. I need to treat them as a real person and love them with the love of God and the love of God will change them. I don't have to change them. But I don't need to come stomping out of the store and get on Facebook and say, man, what is this country coming to? Transgenders everywhere. I know some of you think that way and it's not right. Instead, our heart should be compassion, love, getting in their shoes for a second. There's a huge place of pain and hurt and trauma and mental torment they're going through that you don't experience right now. That's why they're this way. They need the love of God. They need the compassion of God. And that's what's going to change them. Not your judgment, not your prejudice, not your division the love of God. Pastor, don't they, don't they need to hear truth? Yes, but they need to be loved first before they ever hear some truth. And then they'll be in a place where they can hear the truth in love and the truth will set them free. 
Come on, I got to close. I said everything I could say this morning. Come on, did you receive that today? I know some of that probably challenged you. It challenges me. But when God's moving and God's reviving us, I want our church to not abort the plan of God or throw it away or stop it because we won't deal with what's in our sheets. Because God's got to start sending people to our church and into your life. You've got to be open for it. You've got to be open for it. You've got to be ready to love them, ready to show compassion. It's not your job to change them or fix them. You show them the love of God and God will change them. Whew. Will you invite me back? Okay, good, good. I thought I got fired after today. But <laughs> one last verse. Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 in the message. Even though I am free from the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. Come on, Christian. You don't change who you are or what you believe just to reach other people. But knows what it says. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Did you guys get some today? Come on, can you stand up this morning? I know I said some things that challenged you today, but they challenged me too. I only preach what God's preaching to me about. Could we raise our hands if you feel comfortable this morning? Come on, let's make a commitment in our heart today. God, we're asking you right now that you would deal with whatever is in our sheets. We all got different things right now in our heart. Prejudice, division, judgment. Things that we need to deal with. Attitudes in our heart towards other people. Father, I ask you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would, you would show us those things. You would show us those areas. And that, Father, that we would repent of those things and we would turn and we would change. Father, we repent and we say, God, we're sorry for how we've treated people as the church. God, we, we repent and we, we say we haven't always shown the love of God towards other people like we should. And we make that change today. Deal with our hearts. Deal with our attitudes towards people that are outside of your family, that are outside of your plan right now, that you want us to reach. I pray that you would pour out the spirit of love, which the spirit of God pours into our heart by the Holy Spirit. The love of God would flood our heart in a new way, that we would show love to people, compassion to people, mercy to people, that we would extend grace to other people because that's your plan and that's your will. Help us to deal with any little bit of prejudice in our heart towards different types of people. Father, we pray that we would not count people in or count people out. We would count people in. We would not say, well, they'll never get right with God or they'll never come to church and they're never going to come back to God. We don't know that when you've counted them in. 
Father, I pray that this church family would be a church family that we never give up on people. We never stop praying for people. We never stop reaching for people. Even the hard cases, even the stubborn people, even the people that say, I'll never do that. I'll never come to God. I'll never come to church. God, you love them and that we would love them as your church. Father, deal with our hearts today. Speak to us. Even over the next several days or weeks, show us areas in our hearts where we have judgment towards people. And I repent as the pastor of this church. Some things make me uncomfortable too. Father, help us to deal with that. Help us to show love and grace and truth and wisdom with other people in Jesus' name. Anybody agree with that today? Are we going to do that, church family? Let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart. Let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart. He knows you better than I know you, and he knows those areas. And if he points them out to you, don't fight him. Say, God, you're right. Help me to love those people because I do have an attitude towards them. Help me to change in this area, and God will. The Holy Spirit says he will pour out his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. God's got great plans for us, church. He's got a great move for us. He's got revival. But we don't want to let anything stop up the flow of God. We don't want anything that would hinder the move of God. And stuff like this will hinder God's move in our church. We need to get it out. Any bit of prejudice, we need to get it out. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Did you guys receive that today? Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for a great day in your house. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for helping us this morning. Thank you for the wonderful worship and the offering and the communion time. Seal this word in our heart. Help us to think about it this next week and challenge us with it. Thank you, Father. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth, to show your love, compassion, grace to all people. Why? Because we want them to come to a relationship with you, to be a part of your family. And that's what you want, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth, that he wishes that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus. That's your will and that's your plan. Let us be a part of it as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.